Well, this is the fourth sermon, believe it or not, in a a 10-part series called Songs of Lament, where we're looking to the Word of God, specifically the book of Psalms, to teach us how to talk with God and relate with God in the midst of suffering, whether that suffering is in, in our life or in the life of people around us. And that way of talking with God, that way of relating with God, is called the way of lament. And when suffering comes, the Lord invites and urges us to lament our sorrows to him. So what do we do? We cry out to the Lord. We pour out our complaint. We declare our trust in him and we ask him to intervene for our good and his glory. We don't do all those things necessarily in order. It's more like a soup where all the ingredients are present. But, but in doing that, we are lamenting, not venting, our sorrow to the Lord. And thus far, we've looked at a lament for, for suffering in general. Psalm 5, a lament when we're suffering because of our, our own sin, perhaps. Psalm 6, and a lament when we're suffering despite our innocence. Psalm 17, And as we approach the the midpoint in this series, I think that two two reminders are in order, church. Two reminders. And the first one is this, okay? This is for those of you who are suffering right now. When it feels like the sorrows of the last week have, have rung like a washcloth, have just wrung every last drop of life out of your heart, Some of you know what that feels like. Coming here on Sunday morning to engage with God through the preaching of his word can feel overwhelming. I won't ask you to identify yourself if if you can relate to that, but I think some of us can. And in, in the midst of our emotional exhaustion, there is a powerful temptation to isolate and withdraw. So so remember this. This is the reminder for this group, okay? Especially on the mornings when you don't feel like engaging with God at all. Remember this. The Lord is eager to give you life. And he wants to do it through his word. You need to remember that. The Lord is eager to give you life. We don't come to God because we feel alive. We come to God because we feel dead. And because he is a God who delights to give life. He does it through his word. John chapter 6, verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Jesus said some hard things. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Friends, God will honor you. God will bless you for crying out to him by positioning yourself on Sunday mornings to hear and respond to the word of God, especially on the weeks you don't feel like being here. It's the kind of God that he is. 
Your, your body cannot survive without food. And nor will your soul survive without this word. Remember that. Here's the second reminder. Okay, the first was to those of you who are suffering right now. The second is to those of you who are not suffering right now. At least, at least not in a way that as we've gone through some of these Psalms of Lament, you thought, that is so what I was saying to God this week. What do I want to say to you? Well, all I want to actually do is say to you what two women in my community group this past Thursday said to me. Okay, and I thought this was so wise. So, so Cindy Gronke, one of the members here, basically said, I've lived long enough to know that even if I'm not suffering right now, there's a good chance it's right around the corner. That is so wise. <laughs> not cynical, that's wisdom. So, Cindy says, I'm listening to these sermons to get ready. Some of us need to do that. Sarah Campbell said this. Basically, last Sunday, something clicked for me. I realized that even though I'm not in the middle of significant suffering, I think God wants to use these laments to teach me how to be a good friend to people that are. That's so wise. Whether, whether you identify right now and your life feels like a song of lament, or you look out and simply see people around you that are going through significant suffering, God has something to teach us in these songs. And Psalm 55 is is no exception. In a significant way, this 55th psalm that Suzanne read for us, church, this is a song of lament for the betrayed. And I don't think betrayal, certainly in my experience, um, is something that a lot of pastors preach on. And yet I would argue that it is all too common, all too part of the reality of life, until the Lord returns and sin is no more. Um, It is a sad but very real experience that many of us have had or will have in a fallen world. And sadly, that even occurs in the life of the church. I'd be remiss if I didn't recognize that. Some of the most difficult experiences of betrayal happen when someone you thought you could trust does the unthinkable, right? So your spouse has an affair. Your teenager gets pregnant. Maybe a lifelong friend just turns their back on you or or employee or service worker breaks their contract. And you have to work all this overtime. And in those moments when when grief and, and pangs of anger flood your soul, when you can't stop asking, just like a broken record, how could you? How could you? How could you of all people do this to me? We, we need this psalm. We need this psalm. Because in this psalm, King, King David's lament, as it were, it, it takes our broken hearts by the hand. It takes our broken hearts and it leads us to embrace and respond to an exceedingly precious promise. It's one of the most precious promises in the entire Bible. And it's this. God is faithful when people are not. If you've been betrayed, friend, if in 10, 20, 30 years you are betrayed, what you must know is that God is faithful when people are not. 
And that's the story of Psalm 55. That's, that's the main point, the big idea here. And I want to break this down into two parts. So we're going to study verses 1 through 15, or point 1, and then we're going to look at verses 16 to 23 for point 2. So here's the main point as I see it in the first 15 verses, okay? At risk of stating the obvious, the pain of betrayal is great. Pain of betrayal is great. So, so look at verse 1. The psalmist, King David, he, he begins as he's begun, surprise, surprise, every psalm of lament, right, by crying out to the Lord in his trouble. So what does he say? Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Why does David need mercy? Why is he restless in his complaint, verse 2, and, and moaning? Well, look at verse 3. It's all because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. In other words, the source of David's suffering isn't mysterious. It has a human face to it. A very human face. And that, that face, that person or group of people, they're hurting him in a way that is noisy and oppressive and sudden and unchanging. Wonder how many of you have ever experienced or tried to navigate life in the midst of that kind of noise. So someone hurts you, and, and what they've done, as it were, it becomes the soundtrack of your life. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, the pain they've, they've caused you is always there. You, you didn't see it coming, but it's like a big boulder just got dropped onto the landscape of your life, and it's crushing everything bright and beautiful. That's what's going on here. Look at verse 4. It's worth noting here that David isn't somehow completely quiet and untroubled. I mean, where do we get these ideas that, if, that godliness equates, oh, my spouse just left me. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. <laughs> it's lunacy, all right? It's not, it's faking it. Look at verse 4. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me. And horror overwhelms me. You know, as I read these verses this week, I... I was reminded, friends, that for much of my Christian life, um, it has been difficult, if not impossible, uh, for me to relate with suffering that feels like that until a couple years ago. Uh, when I was plunged into a season of uh, relational suffering and sorrow, unlike anything I ever experienced, and, and to say that my heart was in anguish felt like an understatement. Uh, terrors of death would be more appropriate. I would wake up 
multiple times a night. Soaked with sweat. I'm physically shaking in fear. The loss of a relationship that was so precious to me left me feeling disabled and disoriented. If, if my life was a room, it was like suddenly someone out of nowhere just turned off all the lights. Just dark everywhere. And I, and I know that many of you can relate in your own experiences of suffering and betrayal. You're, you're overwhelmed with horror. You can't believe this is happening. The, the pain of it all is paralyzing. Your entire life becomes this sort of outer body experience where you're watching yourself go through the motions. You're trying just to make it to the end of the day, but you feel like a shell of yourself. You feel like a, a walking carcass. And p- kind people ask how you're doing, and the best you can get out if you're being honest on that particular day is, I don't know. I don't know. I'm hurting. And it won't go away. I think in that moment of intense pain and sorrow, friends, there's something we all want more than anything else. At least in my experience. And I think David's confirms this. What what do we want? Look at verse 6. We want it to all go away. <laughs> right? We want to escape. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. That's what we want. You know, many of you have followed the, all the drama, the, the suffering, the devastation with all these hurricanes we've had. I mean, this has just been crazy the last couple of weeks. And if you didn't know it, uh, Hurricane Irma ravaged pretty much the Caribbean as a, as a Category 5 storm uh, with sustained winds. Check this out. Category 5, over 157 miles per hour. That's just sustained wind. Imagine being stranded, just put yourself in the scenario, on a half-mile sandbar in the middle of its path. Imagine that. No buildings, no basements, just you and a couple palm trees. (laughs) The wind begins to howl, the waves begin to roar, the water starts rising past your knees. Before long, you can't even even stand, your eyes are blinded by salt spray, and, and the wind gusts just start to literally lift you up out of the water and try to send you hurling out to sea. Okay, I've never tried that, but I can imagine at 157 miles per hour, that kind of raging storm and tempest would crush you. I think in a moment like that, we would want exactly what David wanted. We would want a shelter from the storm. Right? We would want a place of safety, a place of protection. And David's desire was no different in the storm of his suffering. Look at verse 8. What's he want here? 
I would hurry to find shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Wish number one, I want to escape. Wings like it up. I just want to get out of here. If I can't get out of here, then I want to shelter from the raging storm and tempest. But there's a problem. He can't find one. Did you notice that? He can't escape. There's nowhere he can run. Nowhere he can hide. Why not? Because the pain of his suffering hits way too close to home. Way too close to home. Look at verse 12. For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. I mean, can we just recognize the fact that David is used to dealing with enemies and adversaries? Okay, Philistines, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, you name it. He knew them, and he knew how to deal with them, okay? You gather 400,000 kick-butt soldiers, and you destroy them before they destroy you. And he was good at it, really good at it. And if in a particular point, you got an enemy, you got an adversary, and your army's tuckered out, or it's not the season for fighting, well, you can always hide from them. He knew how to hide from an adversary in a a physical sense by retreating to a safe place, like Jerusalem, his capital city. No doubt he, he also knew how to hide from an adversary, an enemy, in a relational sense by retreating to the comfort of what? His friends and family. He knew how to do that. But this time, it was different. It was different. He can't find shelter in a physical sense. Why not? Because the city he lives in, look at verse 10, the place he thought he could always go for protection and safety, it's what? It's filled with violence and strife. Day and night, they, violence and strife, go around it on its walls. They're not just present, they're patrolling. And iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Friends, maybe there's been a physical place in your life that, that in the midst of your, some of your greatest sorrow and suffering, you've always been able to go for safety and protection. When, when all else failed, you knew you could still go there. You know what I'm talking about? That home, that city, that job. But many times when we're betrayed, we can't. That physical place that used to feel so safe, what's it it now feel like? It feels like the greatest source of fear, confusion, anguish, and suffering. So he couldn't find a shelter in a physical sense, nor, nor could David find shelter in a relational sense. And here's where we discover, look at verse 12, what made this particular experience of suffering so deeply painful and horrifying. Verse 12, for it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it's you. All people. A man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. 
We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. I mean, as, as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised by suffering, right? We shouldn't be surprised. After all, Jesus promised that in this world we would have trouble. So, when we perceive enemies and adversaries in this world who are opposed to the rule of God, who, who resist the truth of the gospel, who harm followers of Jesus Christ, we're saddened, but we're not so readily crushed or overwhelmed. Why not? Because when enemies and adversaries are doing those things, even though it's painful, our trust in them hasn't been broken right? They're simply doing what we expect enemies and adversaries to do. So it's painful, it hurts, but it's not shattering. Friends, that's, that's not the case when you're betrayed by someone you thought you could trust. Whether it's a spouse, a child, a, a friend, few experiences match the sorrow pain of shattered trust in a close relationship, right? It's the same old question. How could you? But it is verse 13. It is you. You. Of all people. How could you do that to me? I mean, what about, what about all the history we've had? What about all the, the good times we've enjoyed? I mean, maybe you're, you're listening to this and you're thinking of, of somebody who who helped you spiritually at one point, or you had a close relationship with them in the church. If you look at verse 14, it strongly suggests that David was betrayed by a person or group of people who used to worship the Lord with him in the temple. That's scary, friends. And I would simply observe on this point that our expectations are powerful things. Powerful things Because when they're met, trust is built. When they're shattered, trust is destroyed. And in those moments, especially when it's a family member or a close friend, the pain of betrayal is great. No less for us than it was for David. And David's song here, the first 15 verses, shows us how to be honest with the Lord about the depth of our grief and our pain when we're betrayed. Now, why is that important? Why, why do I linger on this and not just move to happy stuff? Let's just get through all this. It's ugh, painful. Why do I linger here? I linger here for this reason, okay? God doesn't meet the man or woman who, when they're betrayed, when their spouse is unfaithful to them, puts on a happy Christian face and pretends they're okay. He doesn't. God meets the man or woman who cries out in the midst of their anguish and terror and fear and horror, Lord have mercy. That's who he meets. Because the pain of betrayal is great, friends. That's the first part of Psalm 55. That's not the only reason we cry out to the Lord. We certainly cry out to him because the pain of betrayal is great. There's another reason we cry out to him. You know what that is? It's this. The sustaining power of God is greater still. Okay? The pain of betrayal is great, but the sustaining power of God is always greater still. Look at verse 16. 
Verse 16. There's a turning point here. Don't miss this. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. What's his point? His point, friend, is that, what did I say earlier? God is faithful where people are not, right? God's faithful, faithful to save, where people are not. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. The what? What is it that makes God God? He's the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. What what did the man who betrayed David do to him? Look at verse 20. What did he do? He violated his covenant right? He made promises of friendship and loyalty to win David's trust. So he, he said all the right things. He did all the right things. Everything seemed fine on the outside, but all of that was a facade. Verse 21, his speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. Brothers and sisters, That is not what your God is like. It's not what your God is like. He doesn't violate his covenant. He keeps covenant because he's a faithful God. Okay? There there is perfect, unchanging, eternal conformity between who he appears to be on the outside and who he actually is on the inside. His integrity is beyond question. He always says what he does and does what he says. And how does he reveal that faithfulness to us? How how does he lavish his covenant-keeping, steadfast love on us? What does he do? Isaiah 46, verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who've been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs I will carry you. So you need to hear that. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will what? I will save. I will save. It's who he is, church. He's a God who saves. And he demonstrates his faithfulness in this world and in this universe by being faithful to save. David doesn't know When, he doesn't know how, but he knows the Lord is a God who saves. And so, he calls out to the Lord, confident that the Lord will save him. Not because of what David can see, right? But because who God has revealed himself to be. That's why he calls out. He calls out at the end of the day, in the evening. He calls out at the beginning of the day, in the morning. He calls out in the middle of the day. So think of it this way. The persistence of his pain is matched by the persistence of his prayer. Persistence of his pain is always matched by the persistence of his prayer. For this he knows, the Lord will save me. Friend, when you've been betrayed 
and you choose to call to God for help, know this, the Lord will save you too. (laughs) He'll save you and he'll do it in two ways, okay? Verse 18 and verse 19, two ways. How's he gonna do this? Verse 18, he'll redeem your soul by protecting you in some serious ways that you cannot protect yourself. Verse 18, he redeems my soul in what? In safety from the battle that I wage. Second, verse 19, he saves us by what? By humbling those who have turned on us and attacked us even if they refuse to repent. Verse 19, God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old. That's loaded. (laughs) He's enthroned from of old. What does that mean? Well, it means that, that our God is not like Captain America. He's not running around the world, desperately trying to, to hold back forces of evil that, that threaten to engulf his people, and he's just barely saving them in the nick of time. And then the movie ends, and you kind of, whew, didn't know if we were going to make it. He's not like that. He is enthroned from of old. He's the eternal king of the universe. He's not trying to recover his throne or regain control from Hydra. He is seated on his throne. He doesn't get pushed off. Man, I got to find a way to get back there. Friend, he has been seated on that throne and he is not going He's not going anywhere. And from our vantage point on the earth, right, because this is all we've got to look at thus far, it it may look like the man or woman who's betrayed us is just getting off scot-free. I mean, that's half the pain, right? Let's be honest. I'm trying to honor you, Jesus, and then I get betrayed, and, and they're making six figures? They didn't even get arrested. It's what gives well, friend, rest assured. Your God is listening. Their God, whether they know him or not, is watching. And God will what? Verse 19. He will humble them. That's a promise. And by the way, he doesn't need your help to do it. <laughs> He's enthroned from of old. And in his universe, nobody gets away with anything. And that should not make you arrogant or smug. That should send you falling down on your knees and crying out to God for mercy for you. But there's hope in that. There's comfort in that. Justice will prevail, which is precisely what David prays for in verse verse 9, verse 15, when, when he asks God to frustrate the plans of his betrayers by destroying them. Why? Because evil's in their dwelling place and in their hearts. So remember back to verse 8. What did David want more than anything else? What did we see he wanted? He wanted a shelter, right? He wants protection from the raging storm and tempest. He wants to fly away and be at rest, but therein lay the problem, right? He couldn't do it. He couldn't create or find a physical 
or mental, relational refuge for himself. He couldn't escape the pain of his betrayal because it hit too close to home. And isn't that our experience so often, friends? The the pain of betrayal is too personal to, to escape. So you can try to just compartmentalize it and put it off in some closet somewhere in your mind, but that's going to come back to haunt you. That won't work. Our only hope is to call to God who is faithful to save by doing two things. What did we just see? Redeeming our soul and humbling our enemies. That's our only hope. So what does that look like practically? When you've been betrayed, how do you call to God? How do you do? Let's put some shoes on verse 16. Okay, how do you call to God and experience his salvation? What what is this redeeming or protecting power that the preacher man's talking about? What does it look like in action? Well, look at verse 22. Look at verse 22. This is so helpful. There's a precious promise here that's often quoted out of context. And certainly it's true in every experience of suffering, but, but I would argue that reading it in context helps us recognize that this 22nd verse is especially helpful when we've been betrayed. That's the context. And by the way, before I read this, know that even if the folks who have betrayed you, or you feel like they've betrayed you, you can't say in honesty that they are as malicious as David's enemies here. All the same principles apply. In other words, the way that God meets David in his betrayal with really wicked, malicious enemies, friend, it's the same way that he will meet you whether or not your enemies are as malicious as David's. Don't write yourself out of this song because your enemies aren't exactly like his. So what does he do? Verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. To cast your burden on the Lord is to talk to God. Let's not make this more complicated than it is, okay? And to say to him, Lord, the pain of this situation is too great for me to carry. I don't understand what's happening. I don't know where this is going. I've been betrayed and it hurts so much. I'm desperate for relief, Lord. I I can't keep going much longer. So I need you to save me and and help me and and protect my fragile faith in the midst of the battle. Would you you make my relationship with you, especially the time that I, I spend with you in the word and in prayer, a place of safety and refuge for me? You know I can't save myself. You know, I'm powerless to stop the people who have betrayed me from continuing to oppress me. So, Lord, I'm pleading with you. I'm begging you to redeem my soul and humble my enemies. And, Lord, if they don't change, would you take them out? Save me, Lord, and I'm not going to stop asking you until you do because you're a faithful God. Thank you, Father, that you don't dabble in salvation. You're faithful to save. You're mighty to save. And so I take the whole weight of this situation and I cast all my anxieties and all my fears and all my terror on you. Help me. 
that's it. That's casting your burden on the Lord. And, and friend, if you're willing to relate with God like this, know this, okay? There's a promise here. He will sustain you. That's, that's a promise you can take to the bank and just cash it over and over and over again. It's like a check that every time you bring it back, it's like, haven't cashed it yet. Wow. At morning, noon, and night, you just keep doing it every time. Here's another 10 Ben Franklins. You know, it's, it's a precious promise. It's good all day long. I find it interesting that David doesn't say, cast your burden on the Lord and he will make the pain go away. Oh, we hold God hostage to that sometimes. And when it doesn't go away, we're like, what are you doing? It doesn't say that. Nor does it say, cast your burden on the Lord and you'll be carefree as a bird. What does it say? Cast your burden on the Lord and he will reveal his saving power in your life by sustaining you. That's what it says. He he doesn't make the battle go away. Instead, he delights to uphold and preserve us in the midst of the battle such that when we look back, when, when you look back on that experience of betrayal and pain and sorrow, it is crystal clear in your mind and minds of all the people around you that it is only because God was faithful to me that I was able to bear up under that. God is going to sustain those who call upon him because he is eager to glorify his name. Which means the great engine driving God's sustaining power in your life is not the commitment level of your prayers, but God's commitment to his glory. That is good news, friends. Such good news. God God permits, look at the last part of verse 22. He permits all kinds of difficult, painful experiences in our lives as Christians. I mean, think about what what did the Lord permit to happen to Job? He lost his family. He lost his friends. He lost his possessions. He lost his, his health. But there is one thing, church, God will never permit. What's that? He will never permit the righteous to be moved. He'll never permit that. There is never a moment in your life when the evil one will approach the throne of Almighty God where he is seated on that throne and say, I would like to move and uproot the faith of one of your children. And God will say, okay, go for it. No. He's not going to do that. He'll never permit the righteous to be moved. He will not allow your faith to fail. If your life is like a tree, he won't allow your tree to be uprooted. Even though your branches may be blowing in the wind and snapping off all over the place and all the leaves are gone, he will not allow you to be uprooted. Why not, Christian? Why not? This isn't rocket science. This is simple and it's good news. Because your roots are embedded in the rock of ages. The rock of Christ. And that rock, that Savior, he will hold on to you when you feel incapable of holding on to him. As the hymn we sing declares, his oath, his covenant, his blood. Support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. And in case you ever are tempted to doubt that, 
Remember this. Remember this. God, too, knows what it's like, knows what it feels like to be betrayed. He knows. He knows. Because it was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right, that one of Jesus' own disciples, Judas, he betrayed him with a kiss. He handed him over to the Jews for, for 30 pieces of silver. And the suffering that our Lord endured as a result of that betrayal was unimaginable. And yet, what does the gospel story remind us of? What reminds this church that for Jesus, betrayal and suffering did not have the last word. God did. God did, and his word, the final word, was a word of life. It's a word of life that, that raised Jesus from the dead. So remember, friend, that the resurrection of Christ proves once and for all, it confronts you in history, looking backward, looking forward, that the power of God to save is always greater than the power of man to betray. And when your failing heart is tempted to doubt that, you look there, to the resurrection, to an empty tomb. You allow the Lord to confront and humble your doubting, unbelieving heart once again with the promise that God is faithful where men are not. God is faithful where men are not. The pain of betrayal is great, but the sustaining power of God is greater still. And if it prevailed in the life of Christ, it will most certainly prevail in the life of all who are found in him through faith. So know this, our hope in the midst of our own experience of betrayal lies not in trying to imitate David's story, but in Christ's story. And who all through who faith are found in Christ, this we know, that Jesus' story is our story. And it will be our story. I think the pain of betrayal in closing has a unique way of revealing whether or not our strength for today and our hope for tomorrow is bound up in the character of fallible men. Yes, I'm pointing at myself. <laughs> or the character of an infallible God. Has a unique way of revealing that. So church, this morning, I exhort you, the authority of the word of God, verse 23 that whether or not you have been betrayed thus far or will be betrayed in the future, choose this day to put your trust in the Lord. Choose this day to put your trust in the Lord because God will be faithful to you where men are not. I want to close now by reading the words of a hymn before we sing that has 
ministered to my soul this week. Uh, some of the sorrow from a couple years ago that I described made this a uniquely difficult message to prepare. And God was kind to minister to my heart with these words, and I share them with you now. Kevin, if you'd bring the band up. Uh, this is from the hymn, some of you know this, Be Still My Soul, uh, that Katharina Malia von Schlegel wrote. She writes, Be still my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, be faithful will remain. Be still my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. Be still, my soul, when dearest friends depart, and all is darkened in the veil of tears, then shalt thou better know his love. His heart. Who comes to soothe thy sorrow and thy fears. Be still, my soul. Thy Jesus can repay from his own fullness all he takes away. Lord, I don't know what to say words like that. But I know this, that until you come back, experiences of suffering and betrayal will be sadly common in this life. I know many brothers and sisters in this room who could tell their own stories. And the grief and pain of that never goes away. But I pray, Lord, as we sing now in response to your word, that this song would be an act of faith calling out to you and that you would bring a sweet assurance through your spirit that in due time, you will redeem our soul and humble our enemies. In Jesus' name, amen.